Today, we also continue our Epiphany sermon series, Let It Shine, where we're discerning how we as disciples are called to shine the light of the Christ into the world. We continue in Luke and go to the very beginning of his adult ministry uh, as he returns to Nazareth to give his first recorded sermon. It's in this sermon where we see what Jesus' mission is as the Messiah and what in turn is our mission as Christ's church. A fitting theme as we'll soon be ordaining and installing new elders and deacons to lead us in our ministries here at WPC. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together. From the fourth chapter of Luke, beginning with the 14th verse. Then Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread throughout the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I still remember having to do what every seminary student preparing for ministry dreads, preaching in my home congregation, which is First Presbyterian Church in Lansing, Michigan. As a young and experienced preacher, I was anxious about having to preach to people who, were, who used to be my Sunday school teachers, mentored me in confirmation, even cared for me as a young child in the nursery. But I was also a little uneasy about our intimidating pulpit, which towers into the air seven to eight feet above the sanctuary floor, courtesy of a spiral staircase that goes up to the wine glass-shaped pulpit. Terrifying. I figured if I tripped or my nerves got the best of me and I passed out, I wouldn't just humiliate myself, I would also tumble backwards down the spiral staircase. Thankfully, this didn't happen. But every seminarian in this dread finds some connection with Jesus in our lesson today, as he returns from a tour of teaching to his home synagogue in Nazareth. Luke says he's been deemed an effective teacher or rabbi in his tour of Galilee, visiting various communities and synagogues. Now he returns to his synagogue in Nazareth. And like his childhood interaction at the temple, Luke wants us to see Jesus as a good, observant Jew who goes to synagogue for the Sabbath to worship with his community. Worship in his day typically consisted of prayer and readings from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible known as the Law, and also the Haptorah, the, the prophets. There are readings from each, and Jewish men could volunteer or even be called upon to read from the scrolls. And this is what happens to our hometown kid, Jesus. 
He's given the scroll of Isaiah, and he turns it to a very intentional place. Essentially, what we know today is Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 2, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. In school, when students learn how to write papers, we're typically taught when we write to begin our paper or essay with an introductory paragraph, one that culminates in a thesis statement, your basic argument that you'll spend the rest of your paper developing. To me, in this first act of adult ministry, Jesus and his home synagogue here makes his thesis statement, his mission statement, if you will. This is the essence of his mission and his ministry. It tells us who he is and what he will spend the rest of the gospel doing. He begins, The Spirit of the Lord is upon him that God has anointed him, has chosen him, to bring good news, gospel, to the poor. Now, this word, this phrase here can mean the economically poor, but also the socially marginalized and oppressed. Basically, the people who are on the sidelines in society. The idea here, both in Isaiah and I think in what Jesus is is doing and using this text, is not only to benefit the poor, but instead it's a vision of a total well-being of society through lifting up those who are currently broken and left out. He continues to proclaim release to the captives. That word release in Greek is a phasis. It can also mean forgiveness. It goes on, recovery of sight to the blind, letting the oppressed go free. Then Jesus concludes his thesis statement by proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, which all the people gathered there would understand as Jubilee. Jubilee was, the, was a, a year every 50 years, a celebration when farmers allowed their land to rest when people returned to their hometowns, when debts were forgiven, and prisoners and slaves were set free. The word release, aphasis, is also closely associated with jubilee, because in its essence, it's a promise of release, of freedom from all that binds us and holds us back. Jesus is talking about this release, this aphasis of all that separates us from God and from one another. Release. Jubilee. Some scholars actually claim that the likely year Jesus makes a statement in uh, the year 26 or 27 of the Common Era was actually a Jubilee year. But to me, this is beyond uh, the, what I think the bigger point Jesus is making here in his thesis statement. What Jesus is saying is that he himself is bringing God's Jubilee here and now. Jesus is saying, now all of this is reality. Not because it's the 50th year, but because he himself is God's jubilee. He brings God's jubilee. That God has chosen and anointed him. That the Spirit is upon him to bring good news to the poor, release to the captives, to give sight to the blind, and freedom to the oppressed. This isn't just a year. This is a new reality. This is the new normal. Jesus dawns a new era of endless jubilee. This idea seems to be heightened by what Jesus says next. 
when he says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. A big word in Luke's gospel that seems to appear at pretty much every pivotal moment is that little word, today. Last month when we heard the Christmas story, the angels appeared to the shepherds in the field saying, To you is born today in the city of David a Savior. Later in the gospel, when meeting the tax collector Zacchaeus, Jesus says, I must dine with you in your home today. And the story ends with Jesus saying, today salvation has come to this house. And finally on the cross, Jesus turns to the man beside him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. This is a big word for Luke. But it's also a key theme for him. And the key theme in Luke is that salvation isn't some far-off reality in the sweet by and by. No, salvation, good news, release, freedom, it's imminent. It's today. It's here and now. Salvation in Luke's gospel isn't something you wait for. It's something Jesus brings. And he brings it here and now today. The coming of Jesus means good news for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. The coming of Jesus means a phasis, release to all of us, setting us free from the things that bind us and hold us back from loving God and one another. The coming of Jesus means all of these things, not someday, but here and now, today. And our call as the church is to live into this new normal this new reality, this endless jubilee, and proclaim it to the world. To me, this idea comes full circle in what Jesus says next. After today, he says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. For some time, the church has understood that a preached word is only as powerful as how that word is heard and then acted upon. In other words, my sermon today and any day is only as effective and really only God's word proclaimed in how all of us hear, understand, and then respond to that word. Jesus hints at this in his statement saying, this salvation, this jubilee promise of God has been fulfilled in your hearing. As you hear these words, as you experience them, They are being fulfilled. What's interesting to me is that Luke captures Jesus' phrase here in what's known as the perfect tense of Greek. This tense indicates a past action, but a past action that has ongoing effect into the present and also the future. For instance, if you were to say that I have made a casserole for our potluck lunch today, It means that you've already made the the casserole. You made it in the past tense. But we all still get to eat and enjoy that casserole once I get done preaching, you know. In Jesus saying, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, it means that this promise of God was, is, and will continue to be fulfilled in our hearing. It has been fulfilled, but it will continue to be fulfilled in our hearing of this promise. As the church, as followers and disciples of Christ, we are called to hear this promise again and again. 
the perfect tense here beckons us to ask ourselves, how will our hearing of this promise call us, individually and collectively? How will our hearing of this promise call us to live into the salvation today? How will our hearing of God's promise of redemption and release call us to share this good news through our words and actions? In this way, Jesus' thesis statement really becomes the mission statement of the church. In a moment, we'll ordain and install new elders and deacons to serve as servant leaders in our congregation, but also for the greater church of Christ. Whether or not you're an elder or a deacon, as I shared with the children, all of us, as beloved children of God, are called to hear these promises of God and fulfill them by living into these promises, proclaiming the good news to those on the margins, living as those who have experienced this redemption, this freedom from all that binds us from loving God and one another. As Paul tells us in our first lesson, God's Spirit is with us. God's Spirit is with us when we seek to live into these promises, equipping each of us, giving us spiritual gifts to shine Christ's light and share his love. Jesus goes home in our reading today, and he shines the light of God by giving his thesis statement, telling everyone who he is and what this means. God's promise of jubilee and salvation have been fulfilled. They are here and now. They're today. But he also tells us that it's not only Jesus who participates in the fulfillment of these promises of God, but rather through our hearing, Christ calls all of us to live into this reality, saying today, today, this scripture, these jubilee promises of God have been fulfilled in our hearing. Friends, as we go shining the light of Christ, May we discern how our hearing of this promise of God calls each of us to live into these jubilee promises of God, where we are released, where we're set free from the things that bind us and hold us back from loving God and each other, where the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed are seen and heard and loved, when community is restored and is able to see one another as beloved children of God. And as we live into God's jubilee, friends, may we be assured that God's spirit is with us, empowering us with gifts, bringing us together, and challenging us to go out and share this redemptive and restorative love of God through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.